chapter of Genesis this morning. Now Sarai, Abram's wife, bare him no children, and she had a handmaid, an Egyptian, whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said unto Abram, Behold now, the Lord hath restrained me from bearing. I pray thee, go in unto my maid. It may be that I may obtain children by her. And Abram hearkened to the voice of Sarai. And Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, her maid, the Egyptian, after Abram had dwelt ten years in the land of Canaan, and gave her to her husband, Abram, to be his wife. And he went in unto Hagar, and she conceived. And when she saw that she had conceived, her mistress was despised in her eyes. And Sarai said unto Abram, My wrong be upon thee. I have given my maid into thy bosom. And when she saw that she had conceived, I was despised in her eyes. And the Lord judge between me and thee. But Abram said unto Sarai, Behold, thy maid is thy handmaid, is in thy hand, excuse me, to do to her as it pleaseth thee. And when Sarai dwelt hardly, dealt hardly with her, she fled from her face. And the angel of the Lord found her by a water, a fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And he said, Hagar, Sarai's maid, whence comest thou? And whither goest thou? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress Sarai. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress, and submit thyself under her hand. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Behold, thou art with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard thy affliction. And he will be a wild man, and his hand will be against every man, and every man's hand against him. And he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And she called the name of the Lord that spake unto her. Thou, God, seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Wherefore the well was called Berlahara Roy. Behold, it is between Kadish and Berid. And Hagar bare Abram a son, and Abram called the son's name, which Hagar bare Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. We were talking a little bit about uh, mothers this morning. I appreciate what Brother Alvy had to say. Brother Alvy, I do think I'm older than you, son. And that's my mama. <laughs> but I'm glad he said what he did. But I thought, boy, he's going to say he's older than me. I'm going to get him back. <laughs> Praise the Lord. But here was Sarah. Sarai at this particular time, she uh, was wanting a child so desperately. She wanted to be a mother so bad. And God had promised her almost ten years before she would be. Now, I agree that I can be patient with some things, but to wait ten years? Well, she began to get a little ideas and thoughts in her head, and that's whenever problems started. But if you remember back in those days, bearing a child was such an important thing. 
that a husband, if a wife did not give him a child after so long a time, could send her back to her family in disgrace. But Abram loved Sarai so much, he'd never think of doing that. So he kept her around just because he loved her. And I think that's an admirable quality. But when she entreated him, and she kept after him for no telling how long. I mean, it sounds like it just happened, you know. I, I come in, I nag you a little bit, and then you do what I want. And I don't think it was that way at all. I think there was a span of time. I think maybe the idea began to grow in her maybe a year or two after God had said that they were going to have a son. And then after it grew, then she began in her mind to plan. Now, how can I have this child? Because I'm barren. I can't have children. And look at the age. I'm getting to be old. This lady was, when this boy was born, was 76 years old. And I mean, that's something to think about. But she knew God had a plan, and she knew God had told her what to do. And told Abram what was going to happen. So... She's like the rest of us. She meddles in God's business instead of saying, Okay, God, it's your affairs. It's your business. We'll take care of it there. All right? So she puts her hand in and she starts stirring up a little bit. And then she begins to come at her husband. Well, listen, I'm too old to have children now. And so I'm going to give you my handmaiden. Well, this handmaiden was uh, brought up out of Egypt. It was one of Pharaoh's gifts. Now, that seems nice. Wouldn't that be nice, ladies, to have somebody there to take care of everything around the house you really didn't want to? Somebody that would comb your hair and help you get dressed of a morning and do the laundry and uh, set the table. Wouldn't that be nice, Sister Lamont, to have somebody come in and do that? <laughs> well, it sounds good to me. <laughs> but, see, what looks like a lot of times a blessing is not a blessing because it was turned around that she was a curse she wasn't a servant any longer she was going to put on almost an equal level with Sarai and this is what destroyed the fellowship between Sarai and Hagar is that when she found out after she went into Abram and conceived Abram's child she found out she was pregnant boy don't you know her attitude well who do you think you are Sarai you can't even give your husband a child. You're not a woman. You're not fit to be the wife of this man. Can't you just picture her attitude, her haughtiness? I can. Of course, I've got a good imagination, too. But I can just see her as she would walk in front of Sarai, holding her head a little more erect than she normally did, because servants usually kept their heads down in those days, but holding her head straight and erect and, and looking out of the side of her eye at Sarah and saying, I'm with child. You're not. But you have to remember, this meant a lot to Sarai. It was a struggle for her to do this. But she didn't know any other way of God doing what he was going to do. And it troubled her deeply. She wanted Abram to have sons and daughters. And she wanted Abram to have uh, so many children that they were as the stars of the sky that they couldn't be counted. And she was 70 years old, 75 years old. And, and she was distressed. And then to have this snip of a girl... I guess all of you could think of other little words to call her. Smart aleck, smart mouth. 
you know how your kids once in a while give you uh, that look and you box their face and say, don't you look at me like that no more. You know, this sort of thing. This is what Sarai couldn't take. And so she goes into Abram and she says, now look what you've done. Now look what you've done. She sure did. In verse 5, in verse 5, she says, My wrong be upon thee. Mister, you're supposed to be the head of this house. And you're supposed to be all wise and all knowledgeable. And boy, did you commit a boo-boo. Now that, that really, when I read it, I, I just kind of chuckled to myself. And then I got to thinking, he's kind of like a lot of men today. They should be the head of the house. And they should be the spiritual guide. And they should know what God would want of their life and their family. But the wife can come in and twist the arm just a little bit. And everything goes afoul. Mm-hmm. It does. She says, I have given my maiden into thy bosom. And now she despises me. But then I like what she adds later. She said, the Lord judge between me and thee. In other words, now I'm going to accept my responsibility. At first she wanted to put all the blame off on him. But now she says, the Lord judge between me and thee. In other words, we're, we're not that perfect couple that we thought we were. We thought we could just walk in the presence of God, that God would come down here and walk in our midst. He would talk to you as he's done in time past. And we just got so super spiritual that we weren't any earthly good. And that's exactly what happened here. And because of this, this is what's caused problems all the way down through the time. It's really been a, a distressful time between Abram and Sarai. But I think that the worst thing came in the sixth verse. It says, Behold, thy maid is in thy hand. Do to her as it pleaseth thee. Now, God is already, well, not here yet, but he tells us that no matter what we have, regardless if it's an animal or if it's a servant, we are to treat them with compassion and with love. And feed them. If we can't caress them, we can at least feed them and provide them a good home. I know a man that came in and he was aggravated with our children because they had animals. And a particularly a dog. It was not Suzanne or he had dealt with me. But he kicked the children's dog. It was a house dog. A very friendly dog. It never bit anybody, but he kicked it. And my children knew enough about God in the Bible. They walked up and said, you're not a Christian anymore. I mean, they just de-Christianized him right there in front of God and everybody. And he got indignant to the nth degree. But when the children reminded him of what the scripture said, he had to apologize. First place, he was in our home. And that was our children's dog. And he had no business kicking it. But see... She kicked her servant. She didn't display the love of God like she should have. But she must have done something. As we read later on, she recognized God. Sarah must have done something with her mate. 
to have an influence like that. But then when Sarah, uh, Hagar received as much treatment as she could take, she just couldn't stand it anymore. And uh, various commentaries that I've read said that she was very harsh with her. Said she was physically, mentally, and verbally cruel to Hagar. Well, they say there's no wrath like a woman's scorn. And she felt like she had been completely and wholly betrayed by this woman. That she put so much trust in. Now, that's the first surrogate mother. Did you realize that? Because this woman was supposed to have Abram's child and then give it to Sarai. But she wasn't going to do it. It's like another case we had just recently. And we've got to remember, keep in mind, motherhood is important. It doesn't make any difference how low class you are or how high class you are. I think we would have the two extremes here as Sarai being Abram's wife, the queen, so to speak, and then your slave down here. But motherhood was important to both of them for different reasons, I'll admit, but it was important. And that's why we as mothers today should get a hold of God and ask God, God, how do I raise my children? And the fathers should take their place in the home and teach the children about God. Because if you don't, you really have heartache coming. And it will come. Because it has to be the Bible way. If it don't, you're going to get in trouble. That's just all I can say. I'm not going to tell you how because each family is different. You've got your set of values. I've got mine. But when a child no longer obeys and respects your values, you've lost them. But Mama and Papa, pray for them. Stay on your knees before the Lord for your children. They're precious. And as Brother Hostclaw said, Satan's got a design out to get this generation of people. I don't know how many of you were watching the news this morning, but there was a policeman out, and he said this generation is going to be totally lost if we can't get a hold on this drug situation. And he was telling about in Detroit where 13, 13, 14, 15, 16-year-old kids has crack houses, and they make as much as two and $300 a day selling that stuff. And they're looking for younger children to take it over. Listen, our country's in a terrible shape. And we need to keep on our knees for God. But I want you to remember what this chapter says. It says basically what we're talking about. Anyway, in verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord found Hagar by the fountain of water in the wilderness, by the fountain in the way to Shur. And Shur is back to Egypt. She was getting ready to go back to Egypt. And the angel of the Lord found her because why? That was Abraham's son. It wasn't done the right way, but it was still an heir of Abraham's. And what had God told Abraham? Count the stars of the sky and you're not going to be able to because that's how many descendants you're going to have. That's going to be your children. But this was from the loins of Abram. See, he didn't say just Sarah's child. But he said that they would be there. And the angel said to Hagar, Hagar, Sarai's maid. See, he addressed her. He knew exactly who she was. Whence cometh thou? And whither wilt thou go? And she said, I flee from the face of my mistress. God knew that. He just wanted her to start conversing. How many times has thing gone really bad at your house? 
And all of a sudden, you just almost throw your hands up and say, Oh, Lord! And he says, Yes. He wants you to start conversing with him. He doesn't say, Yes. See, that's a cutoff. But he says, Yes. And that's an extension. And he wants you to start talking to him. Maybe you haven't talked to him in a while, and he thinks the only way I'm going to get your attention is to let things go just a little bit sour. We need to talk to God every day, two, three, four, five times a day. Maybe more. We cannot let the meditations of our heart take the place of prayer on our knees. But we should have God continually in our heart. We should walk as Christians walk. We should be an example no matter where we go. This conference, I tell you, I was so humiliated and embarrassed over something that seemed to be an insignificant thing to most people, but it really got to me. And that was the ladies' restroom. These were Holy Ghost filled Christians coming in there and treating that, and it looked worse, excuse the expression, than Brother Alvey's barn. I'll bet your barn's cleaner than what those restrooms were. These were Christians trying to win these sinners to Christ, and they were dirtier in essence, than most of the rest of them. And I come out and I told Brother Holtzclaw, I said they can never win anybody that works at this center to Jesus Christ because whoever works here and goes in there and has to clean up that. I mean, it was carelessness. It wasn't that the toilets had run over, excuse the expression. It was just absolutely human filth. That's all you can say about it. It doesn't matter where we go or what we do. We are still to uphold God. And God does have sanitary standards. And if it's right here in this Bible, find it and read it. We don't just walk holy in Sunday morning. We walk holy every day of the week. And give the example of Jesus Christ. Because we are Christians. Christ-like. In everything we do. So the angel of the Lord got Hagar's attention. And he knew how Sarai had treated her. And it said, And the angel of the Lord said unto her, Return to thy mistress and submit thyself under their hand, under her hand. People, how would you like that? Submit. We don't even want to submit to the laws of the land a lot of times. You're not supposed to drive over 55. Some places, 65. But submit thyself into her hands. She's going to be degraded. She's going to be told what kind of a slave she is. She is going to be tormented by the dirtiest, filthiest, hardest jobs there will be. She is going to be smacked and maybe even taken a switch to and whipped. Now, come on. She's supposed to submit. God told her to submit herself under the hands of Sarai. And again, almost every commentary that you can pick up, look at, read, will tell you that she did just that. A lot of times we don't realize what's inside of us till we come to grips with things like Sarai had to and she thought she had everything so much under control. And she lost it. She lost control of her servant. She lost control of her household. 
she felt, even though she didn't behave, she felt inferior to the slave. She felt like she wasn't worthy of Abram. Put yourself, if you can, a little bit in Sarai's place and then put yourself in Hagar's place. And then go back and put yourself in Hagar's place again when she has to submit, knowing that she carries Abram's child. But through all of this rough treatment she received, she did not abort. Isn't that strange? Did you ever stop to think about that? She didn't abort this child, even with all the beatings and the thrashings and the hard work. So that tells you one thing, hard work never hurt anybody. Put it wherever you want it. Verse 10, And the angel of the Lord said unto her, I will multiply thy seed exceedingly, that it shall not be numbered for multitude. Again, it's the same thing that God had told Abram. The same thing. He, he didn't have a choice. It goes right back. He did not say which child or whose wife was going to be or who the mother was going to be. Excuse me. But when you stop to realize and think about that, do you know how many people that is? I mean, the naked eye can see a lot of things in the sky. But there's a lot of things even a telescope does not pick up. And it picks up far more than your naked eye does. Go out at night and look up. And then get a, uh, just a, a cheap telescope and you can see a lot more. But you get one of these things like they have at the observatories and begin to scan the skies. And you can see, what is it, uh, 6,000 times? Somebody knows 6 or 10,000 times? Maybe more than that. More than what we can see with just looking out at night. That's a lot of people. Down through the ages of time. And then we wonder why we've got the problems we've got today. And the angel of the Lord said unto Haggai, Behold, thou art with child, and shall bear a son, and shall call his name Ishmael. And that means God heard. Ishmael, because the Lord hath heard of thy afflictions. God heard her. He heard her crying. Why? When her attitude was basically what's all about. If you display a bad attitude a lot of times, it gets you in far more trouble than if you did a bad deed. Because it leaves a lasting impression on somebody. Verse 12, it says, And he'll be a wild man. He will be a wild man. Now, the Arabs are a part of this family. And you look over there at what the Arabs are doing now. You look at what they've got control of now. Look at the oil fields. They can take and raise our gasoline prices over here in America up, and they can put them down. They have basically control of the world. He's a wild man. There is no sense of justification except for what he gets justified for. Now, you cannot say everybody that's an Arab does this. Now let me stipulate this. Anytime I say 
an overall scope. I'm talking about an overall people, a basic people. Anybody can get saved and come to God and change their ways. All right? But I'm talking about a scope of people, a group of people that are so numerous. And we know the Arabs are one, and the Palestinians are another. And we can go on and on in the eastern country over there and see how those people react. Then you come to America, and I went to school when I went to college. I went to school with some of these people. And they walked on you like you were trash. I mean, their mamas and papas would send them like three or four hundred dollars a week and more if they wanted it. They were the ones that drove uh, the Corvettes and the Thunderbirds and all of these cars. They were the ones that had the wrecks. They were the ones that had the nightlife that was wild. A wild man. You go right back and watch them. And what they wanted was self-flesh gratification. And they didn't care who they stepped on to get it. And it didn't bother them one bit to pay somebody else to do their schoolwork, even in college. Now this is what it is. And it goes all the way back to Genesis. But as an individual, they can be saved. And as an individual, they will come to Jesus Christ and turn their life around and behave as a Christian should. But as a nation, that's it. They are just exactly what God says. They are wild men. And his hand will be against every man. Look at Gaddafi. Look at the rest of those leaders over there. Come on, children. We have proof right here. And it talks about them. It describes them right down to the nth degree. That religious leader over there that kept all those Americans prisoners and didn't mind the treatment they got. See, we call that inhumane treatment. They call it punishment. They don't see the inhumane treatment of it. They just say, you did something I didn't like and you're going to be punished for it. Now, whether it's sticking uh, briars or pins or whatever it was they've stuck under their fingernails, whether it was torment mentally by dripping water, continually dripping water, continually, continually, over and over, whether it was doing without food, whether it was doing without sanitary conditions. I mean, these people are like that. And they think that's a normal way of life to treat your enemy. And yet we stand up as America and try to say, now you are going to have to change. Well, listen, they can't change without Jesus Christ. We can make all the laws, do all the embargoes that we want to do, and there's no way we're going to change these people unless they come to Jesus Christ. And right now they're not going to do that. They may never, as a nation, do that. Mohammedism, Buddhism, all of those things that's over there. Hinduism, all that. That doesn't belong to God's kids. We have no business worshiping the East, Eastern custom ways. But yet they're coming over here to evangelize America and because we as Christians have neglected to teach our children the standards of God, they're going the Mideastern ways because it's easier. It's a flesh self-gratification. Let me tell you something. This thing's winding up. It's winding up. You go to a conference like we just went to.
where there was 88 organizations. Now, this is apostolic oneness organizations. You go to that and you sit there and you listen to them talk. And you find out just how fast God's wrapping up this time. And by the time the people had uh, put uh, made application to join it, they were going to have over 100 organizations. You didn't even know there's that many in the United States, did you? But there's that many in the world plus more that haven't come in yet. But this is a fellowship to get them together so they can talk and they can find out, hey, what's going on in your section of the country? What's going on in your section? And all of them have the same basic message. It's winding up. And Ishmael is doing his job very well because he, is in the, he shall dwell in the presence of all his brethren. And Isaac was his half-brother, but still his brethren because of being a son of Abram. He is dwelling amongst us. He is causing chaos and confusion, and he's causing all kinds of problems. And it's up to us to stick close to God and almost like glue, hang on to God and hold to God because he's the only one that's going to be our deliverer and our protector. And it says, And she, Hagar, called the name of the Lord that spake unto her, Thou, God, seest me. Now, see, she knew God. So evidently, Abram and Sarai did have some effect on this girl from the time she left Egypt until this particular time. Thou, God, seest me. She didn't say, Who are you? What are you doing here? She didn't ask him one question. Did you notice that? She talked to him freely. She says, I fled from my, the face of my mistress, Sarai. And then she says, And thou, God, seest me. For she said, Have I also here looked after him that seeth me? Lord, have I done anything for you? Have I served you? Have I in any way committed myself to you? Why are you looking after me? Well, see, she hadn't really done anything for God. The only thing she had done was to become pregnant by Abram. That's the only thing that lady did. So sometimes, where are we? Are we where God wants us to be? Or are we in a place where we are just simply because of something that's happened in our life? Are we dwelling by the wrong fountain? Are we dwelling by the fountain of Jesus Christ that springs forth into everlasting life? Or are we sitting over here dwelling by the fountain of Shur on the way to Egypt? Are we hitchhiking our way to Egypt? And that's basically what she was doing. Children walking with God and being so close to God means you let God do what He wants to do in your life and you keep your cotton-picking hands off of it. And I mean, some of that I've learned by the hard way. You let God be God. You be you. You live every day as if Jesus Christ is not coming back for a hundred years. But in your heart, you be ready for him to come back the next second. In your life, in your walk. In other words, it's all right to plant flowers and it's all right to make. You be ready at that time to go. That's the only way you can live and live with a peaceful heart and a peaceful mind. Don't get your roots so deep 
that you can't pull them up. But yet, don't get them so shallow. They come the first famine or the first drought. You're going to dry up and die. And that's pretty hard to do sometimes. That's pretty hard to do. Somebody challenged me this last week. Are you ever going to leave bird's eye? And I says, when God tells me to. And they laughed and said, Now nah, I heard you got a new house down there. I said, there is a new house down there. But I said, I'm trying to get my roots deep enough that I can survive. But yet, if God would come and say, I want you to go to Timbuktu or uh, China or wherever, if the Lord says that I'm trying, that I could pick up and be ready to go at the time God told me to get out. But I don't want to be there so, I don't want to be so shallow that I'm saying, I'm going, I'm going, I'm going, and yet never get any roots. In other words, I'm not going to love y'all because I don't want you to get attached to me, and I don't want to get attached to you. That's ridiculous. We love one another. I love y'all here. I don't know if you love me or not, but I love all of you. And I want to get, that's right. <laughs> what you think about me is your problem, not mine. But I want to get my roots so that I can reach out and I can help you. And that I, my, the roots of my spirit can intertwine with you. And I can reach out and love you and hold you and caress you and give you the spiritual things that you need from God. But at the same time, I don't want to bind you so tight that if God would come tomorrow and say, Okay, host clause, I want you to be out of here by the end of the month. I've got another place for you to go. I don't want to get that so much that whenever I get ready to go, I'm going to pull you out. You see what I'm saying? I don't want to pull you out of this church. I don't want to cause you to backslide. I don't want to cause you to leave God. This is your home. This is your assembly. You are responsible here. You are not responsible to us after we got. But you look to God. He is your provider. He is your source. He is your strength. And whoever he sends, let them be the minister to you. But I'm not saying he sent us. Don't get me wrong on that. I'm just saying don't get your roots too deep, but also don't get them too shallow. All right? And she said, the name of the Lord says, who have I done? Okay, let's go to 14. It says, for the well was called Berlehoi Roy, and behold, it is between Kadesh and Berin. And again, that's on the way to Egypt. Or, if you're coming out of Egypt, that's on the way to God's country, Canaan land. And Haggai bare Adam, Abram a son. And Abram called his son's name, which Hagar bare, Ishmael. So evidently God was on both ends of the line telling Abram what to call the son because normally it's a husband's responsibility to name the children. And so evidently God was on both ends of the line there and the son was named Ishmael. And Abram was fourscore and six years old when Hagar bare Ishmael to Abram. Now this is important, not particularly for this chapter. But it's important for chapters to come that you remember that Abram at this time was 86 years old. Now, many, many times, and I'm going to jump a couple because I've got two or three minutes, a couple of chapters. But many times whenever uh, Isaac is getting weaned, you hear of Ishmael laughing and making fun of him. But Ishmael is not a four or five year old child like a lot of people like to make him out to be. Ishmael is over 14 years old. 
when all this comes about. He should know better. A 14-year-old does not make fun of a 3-year-old or 4-year-old when they're weaned. But he did. Again, that was the first instance and the first antagonizing of God's kids by Ishmael. It was a direct line. But then when you go down, you find out that there was must have been a love between those two boys. Because later on down the line, I've read the end of the chapter, the end of this particular book, and I find when Abram died, these two boys, not the rest of the children, came and buried their father. And that's why it's very important to remember a lot of things that happen, does, it seems like it's insignificant. There is nothing insignificant in this word. It all has a meaning. It all has an implication in our life. Just as I said, motherhood is very important. I believe that Hagar just let that boy run wild because of the promise. She couldn't distinguish that there was a job she had to do as a mother to put those apron strings around that child and bring him back. She should have taught him manners. She should have taught him conduct, becoming the father. And the father should have taught him God. And I believe, in a sense, Abram did teach him about God because Ishmael was a religious man, but not toward the Jehovah God. You go back and you begin to read your history books on about the uh, Ab Arabs and about the things that happened to those type people. They're very religious with Muhammad. They're very religious in the Hindu. But they have nothing to do with God or the plan of salvation. And we need desperately to know our adversary this morning. Why do you teach so much on things that doesn't pertain to Christianity? Because you need to know where the enemy could strike you. And you don't know where the enemy is going to strike you unless you know your adversary. So know Ishmael. Know his background. Get some books. Read some books on Ishmael. And find out what happened because you're going to find out that's where the source of the problem is today. It's simply because we could not turn it loose and let God have his way. Are we this morning, you and I sitting here, are we letting God lead us or are we trying to maneuver and manipulate God? Where do you sit with God? You got your roots dug too deep? Have you let them go way down there? Are they spread out? Are they too shallow? Where are you with God this morning?